Good morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we're in uh, week five of our Connect with God series. We're looking at some of the basic spiritual disciplines and resources that God, by His grace, uh, has given us in order to grow in our faith. And a few months ago, when I was asked to preach uh, this particular message on this particular day, I didn't connect the dots at that time that today would also be the day that we would recognize and pray over our graduates. But as I began to prepare and the more I dug into it, I realized that while there is certainly broad application of this message for every person in the room today, there is a unique aspect of what we will look at that is really, really important for our graduates to hear. I want you to listen to this testimony from a former college student, now writer, who says this, I remember hustling out of my little dorm room one Sunday morning. I was terribly late, as usual, for church, and it was always a touch embarrassing to show up late as a Bible school student. As I slipped on one shoe, I reached under the bed, hoping I would find the other. I actually pulled out a different matching set and quickly put those on instead. But when I finally made it to the elevator, still pulling on my coat while holding my keys between my teeth, a girl on my hall was just climbing into a chair in the lounge, wrapped in a bathrobe, coffee in hand. Are you feeling okay, I asked. Oh, yes, she said confidently. I just decided I'm going to do church right here this morning. I'm sure I smiled one of those awkward smiles that is one part confused and another part social pleasantry. And thankfully, the elevator doors opened and I got on. That image has haunted me in a way, a woman sitting alone in an empty room doing church by herself. It's an oxymoron, a contradiction, because you cannot do church on your own. Gathering with my church is a visible expression of an invisible reality that I am a member of Christ's body. The second chapter of Acts is where we see the birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit descended upon 120 believers. Uh, Peter preached, and that day 3,000 people believed the gospel, and they repented of their sin, and they were baptized as followers of Christ. Acts 2.42 says that they then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 47 of that chapter reports that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You know, something so obvious that I think we often miss in this familiar passage is the fact that God did not add people to the church without saving them, and He did not save people without adding them to the church. And this inseparable connection between salvation and belonging to the church is the unchanging pattern of the New Testament. But unfortunately, I think there are many today, professing Christians as well as unbelievers, who question the relevance and the importance of the local church. 
I mean, really, what, what's all that important about the local church? You know, in a day when there's more Bible teaching accessible on your smartphone than you could ever consume, why should it matter where and how you're taking in God's Word? Why can't your iPhone be your leader and your tablet your pastor and your social media friends your fellowship and your accountability? Well, the answer is simple. That's not the way God designed it. And the question that I would like for us to consider this morning is this, who needs the church? And here at the outset, I want to suggest that the answer to that question, who needs the church, is whoever wants to be saved. Now before you get too unsettled with that, let me be clear with what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that church attendance or church participation or church membership can save you. God forgives our sins by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus Christ alone. What I am saying, however, is that I am not sure that a person can be a healthy, growing, fruitful Christian without being a participating member of a local church. The New Testament over and over emphasizes the importance of local assemblies of believers. And Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the places that God's Word helps us understand why being connected to a local body of believers is essential for every follower of Christ. So the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were tempted to turn away from Christ because of the persecution that they were enduring. And the author of Hebrews wrote this particular letter to challenge them to persevere in their faith. And he wanted them to know that what they have in Christ is far better than what they had in the religious system of Judaism. And here in chapter 10, along about verse 19, Uh, the author summarizes the argument that he's been making really since about chapter 3. And that argument is this, that the Lord Jesus himself is our great high priest and our perfect atoning sacrifice. And that he himself established for us a new and a personal way to God through his own blood. And then it was on the, the basis of the person and work of Christ that he calls the reader and he calls us today to hold fast to Christ, and he does that with three commands that begin with the words, let us. Look there at verse 22 of chapter 10. The Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24 and 25, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the beauty of this passage is that it gives some divinely inspired counsel for those who are ready to 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 throw in the towel on their faith. 
And specifically, that counsel is that it is essential for you and for me to commit ourselves to a a local body of believers so that we can submit to the spiritual accountability and tap into the spiritual resources that are going to help us persevere in our faith. And the passage goes on to exhort us there in verse 25 to not give up or neglect meeting together. Another way to say that is this, Scripture commands believers to gather with their church. Scripture commands believers to gather with their church. So then, what are we to say to this notion of, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian? Some might put it this way, I love Jesus, I love the Bible, but I'm just burned out with organized religion. Burned out with any kind of institutionalized church. Again, I think one is on very thin ice if he claims to be a Christian, yet intentionally, knowingly remains outside or disconnected from the visible local church. After all, what is gathering together that the writer mentions here other than his assumption that God's people are to be regularly, consistently coming together for worship? And I know what some of you may be thinking. A command to participate in weekly worship gatherings? Sounds a bit legalistic and at the very least impractical. Hang with me, because I I think this is a point worth emphasizing, particularly when we note the second part of verse 25, which says, as some are in the habit of doing. You see, some folks had already begun disconnecting, and the word habit tells us that it was starting to become a fairly regular thing. But let's remember why some of the people were missing church meetings in that day. They were facing persecution. Their lives were on the line every time they met together. But even still, God said, don't stop coming. Don't start getting inconsistent. What's the point? Well, the point is, if God didn't excuse these ancient believers even though there was a chance they could die, then what does he think about some of the the sinful, selfish, superficial reasons that that we come up with? Perhaps you've heard about the epidemic that's hitting some churches these days. It's called Morbus Sabbaticus. And in layman's terms, it's known as Sunday morning sickness. The symptoms are quite interesting. Doctors report that it never interferes with the appetite or affects the eyes. A big breakfast tends to ease the stomach. Extended time can be spent on Facebook with no pain, and watching television actually seems to help the patient. The the only symptom is that you cannot get up and go to church. Strangely, you usually don't feel it on Saturday, but it hits when the morning comes, and it never lasts more than 24 hours. About the time Sunday morning services are over, the patient begins to feel better. 
And by Monday morning, the patient's able to get up and go to work, but it has a way of striking again the next Sunday. And after a few weekly attacks, it may become chronic. Morbus sabbaticus. Some of you felt it coming on this morning, didn't you? You pressed through, and I'm so glad that you did. So Dennis, are you saying that I'm supposed to attend every meeting, every function, and every service that the church holds? No, I'm not saying that. However, I would say this. When it comes to our main ministry gatherings, let's just say for talking purposes, when it comes to our worship gatherings and your small group, all right, if you are absent and number one, no one knows where you are, and number two, nobody is surprised that you're not there, then you're probably out of God's will for your life on this issue. One preacher put it like this, if you miss church without being missed by the church, something is missing. And if you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. You know, there are two realities that we have here at Brook Hills. We have a large group of people who are members but do not attend, and We have a large group of people who attend but are not members. And friends, we need to understand that neither of these scenarios is God's design for the church. And so with Hebrews 10 as a foundation, I think it would be helpful to to put us on the same page with a clear understanding of what we mean when we say church. We're talking about who needs the church, but for some, the question first might be, what is the church? Well, the word church in the New Testament never refers to a building or place. We don't find the statement, I'll meet you at the church, nor does it refer to an event or an activity such as, let's go to church this morning. It always refers to a people. Either the total number of believers who have ever lived, a technical term for that would be the universal church, or refers to a smaller, often geographically defined group of believers, what we would call the local church. And so, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says this, and he subjected everything under his feet and anointed him as head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So that there is referring to the universal church, the total number of those who are saved and submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So in that sense alone, there can never be such a thing as churches, plural. There is only one church or one body. However, in the New Testament, the word church also, and much more frequently, refers to a particular group of believers in a particular place. So we see in God's Word, Acts eleven twenty two, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 1, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus, called as saints. 1 Corinthians 16, 
19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. Galatians 1, Paul an apostle and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So you have the universal church and the local church. And when we ask the question this morning, who needs the church, the latter is what we're referring to. And so I want to provide us with a a good working definition of a local church. This is going to come up on the screen. I don't want you to write it down right now because we're going to unpack it one phrase at a time. But here it is. A local church is a group of baptized believers who meet together regularly to worship God through Jesus Christ, to be exhorted from the Word of God, and to celebrate the Lord's Supper all under the guidance of duly appointed leaders. Now, there's a lot there, but I want us to unpack it a little bit at a time. And actually, in that definition, we find seven what we'll call essential components or minimum requirements of a local church. So if that gathering or group is a local church, it's going to meet these seven characteristics. First of all, the people must give evidence they are believers, that they've repented of their sin and trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. The New Testament makes it clear that we are adopted into the family of God through faith in Christ. So they are believers. Secondly, if it's a local church, the people must be baptized Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28 that the way to make disciples was by baptizing them and teaching them. This was the standard practice in the church then, and it should be the standard practice in the church today. So a group of baptized believers. Thirdly, the people must assemble regularly. A group of people who came together, say, once a year could not rightly be called a local church because there are essential activities of the church which lose their meaning if they're not done corporately on a consistent basis. So they assemble regularly. Number four, local church must be a people who gathers for worship. For worship. Why? Because God's ultimate purpose for His people is to bring Him glory. And because in the church, ultimate value is placed on Christ, it would go against our nature as believers not to come together regularly for the purpose of worship. Number five, if it's a local church, the people must be taught from the Word. So we are transformed, we're made new, the Bible says, through the living Word of God. And our life in Christ is preserved not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number six, to local church, the people must celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. So we're commanded in the New Testament, not if we gather, but when we gather, to do this We do weekly in remembrance of Christ. You see, coming to the the table with regularity is both healthy and it's essential for a people who believe and proclaim the gospel. And then finally, it's a local church. The people must have duly appointed leaders. Duly appointed leaders. 
The Apostle Paul appointed leaders in all of the churches that he established, and he gave us instructions in the New Testament about the qualifications of elders and deacons. He said that Christ had given pastor teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, for generations, there have been various opinions about what to call this leader, these leaders and, and how to organize them, but the fact that they must be present in order for a group to be a local church has never been up for debate. Now, I give us this definition because I think it's important for us to be able to determine what groups are and are not churches. So, for example, college students, graduating seniors, when you get to campus this fall, you will likely learn about and be invited to all kinds of ministries and Christian organizations on your school campus. There's going to be Campus Crusade or InterVarsity, the Baptist Student Union, Young Life, Navigators, RUF, FCA. Some schools have weekly chapel, even Bible studies that are held uh, on your hallway in your dorm. These are good things. I was in the BSU for four years in college, and I loved it, and God used it in my life. These are good, but they are not local churches. Here where we live, community Bible study, Bible study fellowship, Christian support groups that meet in the community, the prayer group of Christian co-workers that meets in your office. These are good, but they are not local churches. And the reason that it's important for us to see this is so that no Christian will be content or satisfied with participation just in these kinds of groups. So being a part of these one weeknight doesn't check off the church box. Now don't misunderstand, most of these have tremendous value when working alongside and in harmony with the local church, but they should never replace the local church. All right? Well, I proposed at the outset this morning that I'm not sure a person can be a healthy, growing, fruitful Christian without being a participating member of a local church. And I think before you can agree or disagree with me on that, we also need to understand why every believer needs to join the church. So who needs the church, what is the church, and why do I need to join one? Well, I want to take just a moment and show you a brief video. It's a video of a popular Christian hip-hop and rap artist, all right, a solid brother in Christ who is also an author and a pastor, and his name is Trip Lee. And I want you to hear what he has to say specifically on this subject of the value of the local church, specifically to a generation of college students. So let's watch this together. When I first began to follow Jesus, um, there were things that I began to understand well, you know, things I got really interested in, God's grace. Um, 
how big God was. I was reading books that showed me how big he was. I was real interested in God's attributes. Um, one of the things that took me a long time to fully understand was how central the church was to what God was doing. And so I talk to guys all the time who really say, hey, I really love Jesus. Uh, and I, I'll attend church because I like to hear good sermons, but their commitment to the local church isn't there that much. And you see that a lot even with college students. You know, college is kind of that age where you just kind of float around in nothingness, almost like you're not a real person yet. You're trying to figure out what being a real person is, and you're going to like train for almost like, hey, I'm not a doctor yet. I'm in medical school. Almost like, hey, you know, I'm just, this is kind of my training stage, and I'll really get into it once I kind of move on to that next adult stage. And I want to say there is no good, healthy, regular pattern of the Christian life if you are not joined with a local church, if you're not in covenant with other Christians. Not just I have some Christian friends who we talk to sometimes. I'm talking about the way that God set it out, that there are leaders that you submit to. There are other Christians you covenant to, to pray for and care for. That there's actually something that other Christians can do to help you if you fall into unrepentant sin. All the beautiful mercies God has given us to gather together, to sing together, sit under preaching together. That is huge uh, in the life of a Christian. And so we can't say, I've been adopted by God. He's my father. I'm glad he is, but I'm just going to ignore his people altogether. That, that doesn't make any sense because if you're adopted in his family, you now have brothers and sisters. So that when we become new Christians, uh, our identity changes as individuals, but also in another way, kind of corporately. So it's like when I got married, I remember sitting on the couch. I was like, man, life as I knew it. It's so different. I don't think of anything the same way. There's a very similar thing when we get saved is that we can't just think of things individually anymore. Because just like when I get married, now I'm one with another sinner. We have to wrestle with things together. When we trust Jesus, not only do we become one with Jesus, but we become one with his people. There's a unity that Jesus has already uh, won for us that we're now beginning to fight for. And so just like I can't just get married and then decide to just ignore my wife. It's like, what are you doing? In the same way, you can't just be adopted into a new family and just... Besides, you're just going to ignore your brothers and sisters. It makes no sense. It's, it's illogical. So not only are you robbing them of the ways that you can edify them, you're robbing yourself of the ways that can edify you at its core to what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and so I encourage that man, young man strongly. Do whatever you can to find a church that preaches God's word, that's centered around the gospel, and where people want to fight to love him more. Really solid biblical stuff, regardless of your age, on the value of the local church. And I want us to build on that this morning as we answer this question, why do I need to join the church? You know, a question that I have been asked on more than one occasion since coming to Brook Hills is, where do we see membership in the New Testament? And what folks are getting at is, is it really essential for me to join the church? I mean, can't I get everything that I need as a Christian from just being a, a regular attender? And part of what drives that kind of question is that we are part of a culture that often runs from commitment where it seems a little out of the norm to put down roots and, and make a long-standing commitment for the good of someone else. We want to keep our options open, right? We want to preserve our freedom of choice rather than make a covenant for the long haul. But brothers and sisters, whether you call it membership or partnership 
or something else, the New Testament assumes some form of committed, accountable belonging as a reality for every true follower of Jesus. And so briefly, I want to add to Tripp's comments, and I want to offer five reasons why I think every believer should belong to or be a member of a local church. Number one, Jesus values the church. You're a Christian. You claim to love and follow Jesus, right? Well, guess what? Jesus founded the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is the Savior of the church, and he nourishes and cherishes and sanctifies the church. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul draws a parallel between Christ's sacrificial love for the church and marriage. And he said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And friend, if Jesus loved the church in this sacrificial kind of way, how could we ever conclude that covenanting together with other believers is optional for the Christian life? Jesus values the church. Secondly, why should I join the church? For assurance of my salvation. Assurance of my salvation. Now again, don't misunderstand. Becoming a member of a church does not provide your salvation. But the body of Christ does share the privilege and responsibility of affirming your salvation. And that's why any church worth its salt, when you go to join, will ask you to share your testimony. See, being received into membership in a Bible-believing, responsibly-led church ought to to bolster confidence that your faith is real and that you have, in fact, experienced the saving grace of God. You think about it. It's no small thing for a solid local church to find your profession of faith to be credible and for your lifestyle and conduct to not be disqualifying and to receive you as a member. And folks, there is, there is more grace to be experienced in that than most of us know. For assurance of my salvation. Number three, why should I join the church? For my own good and the good of others. My own good and the good of others. You know, when I was a kid, a lot of Sunday afternoons included the TV program, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anybody remember watching that? You probably got to be about 45 or above to catch Wild Kingdom. It's an amazing show of life out in the wild, and you had the host, Marlon Perkins, and his sidekick, Jim. They were always either in the Jeep or the helicopter. Uh, it seems like Marlon was always safe in the helicopter while he sent Jim out into the into the wild. But whenever they would study or follow a herd of some kind, 
the camera would always end up showing that one crippled, weak animal. It was usually a wildebeest, right? The wildebeest falling behind the rest of the pack. And whenever that would happen, it it was never good. Ultimately, he would be left behind as the rest of the herd fled across the open terrain. And then another camera would show a pride of lions kind of lurking in the tall grass, scouting out the scene, looking for that quick, easy lunch. And then its eyes would be fixed on the limping wildebeest. And you know what happens next. You see, left alone, believers, like that injured wildebeest, are easy prey for the enemy. Why is that? Because avoiding the church leaves us exposed and vulnerable. And leaves us in a place where we are without the strength and the protection that comes from a body of believers. And so it's for your own good and for my own good that we need to have others in our lives who are committed to genuinely caring for us in Christ. And catch this, the people who will care for you the best in the long run are those who are willing to commit to it. I think most people miss that the idea behind covenanting together with other members is that we, we yoke ourselves to some accountability while we're in our right minds. So that in case someday sin gets a foothold in our hearts and blinds us to the truth, we've got a family. So why do I need to join the local church? Number four, the one another's. One another's. There are some 59 one another commands in the New Testament, and several of these are actually right in the heart of our Brook Hills Church covenant. Watch out for one another, comfort one another, forgive one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Have you ever stopped to consider who one another is referring to? See, the one another's we see in Scripture are are written to the church. And here's the beautiful thing about the church. You need brothers and sisters to minister these one another's in your life and your brothers and sisters need you to minister the one another's in their life. Because living the Christian life in community is more than just random associations on an occasional basis or Sunday to Sunday. No, it's committing to each other to be there when life gets hard. Maybe you've seen these in person. They're California redwood trees. I remember as a kid going to the redwood forest and was just amazed by the size and strength of these trees. Some of them are so big you can 
you can actually drive a car through the middle of it that has been cut. And they, through a hole that's been cut. And they, they stand hundreds of feet high. Some of them are said to be uh, 2,500 years old. And with that, you would think that redwoods have a tremendous root system that goes deep down into the earth. But actually, compared to other trees, redwoods don't have as many roots and they don't go very deep. Yet these trees have stood for centuries. And how does that happen? It happens because their roots are all intertwined and interwoven with each other. Some below the ground, but even sometimes above the ground. So that when the winds blow, the redwoods stand. And the reason they stand is because they are locked and linked to each other, holding one another up. What a great picture of the body of Christ. That's the kind of work that the one another's do in the life of the church. Well, finally, why do I need to join the local church? Because sheep need shepherds. It's very simple. You can't shepherd yourself. And the internet pastor you listen to Even the most doctrinally sound one can't shepherd you either. The Bible often uses sheep as a metaphor for God's people. I love that picture and that image of God's people being a flock. But have you ever noticed that the Bible never pictures a sheep wandering off on its own as if that were a good thing? Look what the Bible says, Isaiah 53, we all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. Psalm 119, I wander like a lost sheep. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Friend, hear what the Word of God is saying. Shepherdless sheep are in trouble. And so Christ established the church, local flocks of sheep, and he insisted on having them led by shepherds. It's why when we lead someone to Christ, or when we're discipling a new believer, we need to make it a priority to help that brother or sister get connected to a local church. And when we have conversation uh, about baptism with a new believer, it ought to be in the same sentence with membership in a local church. The two go together. You're baptized into the life of the church. I know in contexts around the world where the church doesn't yet exist, that has some unique challenges. But in Birmingham, Alabama, there are options for gospel-proclaiming, Bible-teaching churches all across our city. And so let's not leave newly adopted children of God without a spiritual family. See, joining the church family formally identifies you as part of the flock, And it's the flock that pastors and elders are called to shepherd. 
and to which they should pay careful attention, 1 Peter 5 says. In other words, when you join the church, you help the elders do their work. Think about it. Without that, how, how are elders to shepherd the flock well if they really don't know who has been entrusted to their care? And membership makes that clear. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Scripture commands believers to submit to their spiritual leaders. And the obvious way to do that is by committing to be a part of a local flock. Saying, in effect, I commit to being fed by your teaching, following your direction, and submitting to your leadership. And I receive your care and welcome your protection. You see, biblically, biblically, that's how sheep relate to shepherds. So who needs the church? I need the church. And you, friend in Christ, you need the church. Every Christian needs the church. And guess what? The lost world needs the church to show them Jesus. Because a lone ranger Christian doesn't make the best witness for Christ. No, the the person who is best positioned to credibly display Jesus and, and draw others into the kingdom is the person who is grounded, has a home, and is part of a solid covenant community. By this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So what's my next step? What is your next step? I want to leave you with four points of application, actually four groups for which or to which I would like to make application of today's message. And I think just about everyone in the room should fall in one of these four categories. So first of all, an extremely important word to an unbelieving friend in the room. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ, I would commend to you today to be saved, to turn from your sin, trust in Christ and what he's done on your behalf, and begin to follow him as your Lord. And if you do that today, the the point of application I would extend there is find a Christian friend or a pastor to share that with and ask them to help you begin to pursue baptism and membership in a local church. If you put your faith in Christ today, that's your next step. Secondly, a word to graduating seniors, actually all college students and even college graduates. If that's you today, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to make joining and participating in a local church when you move into this next season of life a top priority. Because high school seniors, I want you to take a look at this picture. You know what this is a picture of? 
This is a picture of what most college campuses look like on Sunday morning. And it's quiet, and it's peaceful, and it's empty. And you know why it's empty? They're all still in bed. And it's going to be really, really easy to fall into the habit of neglecting to gather together. And you're going to hear a lot of advice as you go off to school or as you move into this next season of life. Make good grades. Choose your friends wisely. Network for the future. You're going to hear all kinds of things. But as one of your pastors, if there was only one piece of counsel I could give you, as you head off to school, it's this. Become an active, participating member of a local church. And decide now that you're going to do that and find someone that will hold you accountable until it's done. Something that I love to see in our monthly elders meetings, when we look at the list of new members that are coming into the church and the list of people who are being released from membership, uh, going to other churches, what I love to see on that list is college students joining other churches. One, I love to see students who have come to Birmingham from other places joining this church But I love to see students who grew up in this church leaving Birmingham, joining churches in their college towns. You get it. And you get it at the right age. Next, what's my next step? Brook Hills Attender. I mentioned a moment ago one of the realities of church life here is that we have many who attend that are not members. And I guess the question I would pose to you is, what are you waiting for? Join a local church. And we would be honored and we would be grateful if it was this local church. But it may not be. What's most important is that you identify with and covenant together with a healthy body of believers. And other than perhaps the rarest of exceptions, it's difficult to make the case biblically that it's God's will for you to remain a longtime attender. And so let me encourage you, put a goal out there. Say something along the lines of maybe by the end of this month, Could we make a decision? Would you be willing to make a decision about church membership by the end of the month? And if so, let's begin that conversation. Let us help you know what that process looks like at Brook Hills. Every week in your worship guide, there's a, a response box that says, I'm interested in becoming a member. Put your name and contact information and check that box and let us help you take that step toward church membership. And then finally, Brook Hills member. You're here today, you're already a part of this local body. There's a step for you as well. Let me encourage you to, if you're married, talk as a couple. If you have a family, talk as a family. If you're not married, talk with some uh, Christian friends here in the church. Talk about what it means to, to, to be an active 
healthy, functioning member of this local body and renew your commitment to do so. In Brook Hills, let's watch out for one another. Uh, Let's provoke each other to love, to good works. Let's not stop coming together on a regular basis for worship, even though some are in the habit of doing that. But let's encourage each other. And let's do it more and more as we anticipate the day that Christ is going to return for His church.